This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. My wife and I have this thing that we do that when we sit with a chassan or a kala, somebody who's engaged, we sit with them and we say to them, can you sit down and write for us 10 good qualities about your spouse? Now, everybody knows, you know, a chassan or a kala or somebody who they know who've gotten engaged. And a lot of times you see these people, they're just like glazed eyes, like totally seventh heaven. They don't know what day of the month it is. They don't know when anything is happening. They're like, they forgot to eat today. They're just like in seventh heaven. And they sit down, they're like, oh, my kala is just, she's an angel from above. Her midos are just impeccable. Her shmona is saving kala Yisrael. Like they just sit down and give like this whole laundry list of all these wonderful things about their kala, which is, which is nice. It's beautiful. It's a nice thing to see. And a lot of kalas are the same way, and sometimes the kala is even more gaga, googly-eyed than, than the guys are. Okay. So, we had a couple cases, a couple times, where during the engagement period, the chasen or the kala, they were googly-eyed, and their list, they're like, you're only giving me ten things I should write about my chasen or my kala? I want to give you a hundred things. They're just like such an amazing person... And they're just writing and writing and writing and writing. Yet, two, three, four months after they get married, they come back and they start with some complaints. And those complaints sometimes translate into serious issues or matters which have to be discussed. And a couple of times, we pulled out these lists that the person had written a few months before. And we say to the person, let's, let's go over what you were saying about this person six months ago. You said this person's the biggest Balmidus in the world. You said they're so caring and kind and loving and everything. You said this person was like a malach, like this person was like God's gift to humanity. And now it's just a few months later and you're sitting here and you're crying your eyes out saying, I don't know why I married this person. I can't believe it. I can't believe all these issues came up. What happened? What happened from six months ago to today? Now, there's a lot of things that could have happened. But there's one specific concept which is so important to address for somebody who's dating, somebody who's engaged, and somebody who's married. Let's ask a basic question. Potiphar's wife, Aisha's Potiphar, was she a good person or a bad person? So you ask this to any kindergarten kid, they know the answer. She was a bad person. But if you look in the Gemara, the Gemara Numa actually says that she was a very interesting and complex character. On the one hand, she was a very bad person. She tried to seduce Yosef. She threatened Yosef. She said, "I'm going to blind you. I'm going to make you lame. I'm going to I'm going to throw you into jail." She threatened him and threatened him over and over and over. And that was the one side of the coin that everybody's aware of. But the Gemara says that what was she motivated by? She was motivated by the fact that when she looked up into the stars, or her astrologers, they looked up into the stars, they told her that you should know you're going to have children from Yosef. And Rav Elilapian, in my favorite sefer in the world, Levelio, he says, you have to understand something here. He says, and you have to understand Rav Elilapian, he very often takes the obvious and he shows you why it's not obvious. And he shows you layer upon layer why something that you thought you knew, A to B to C, is completely not what you saw. He says, the story of Aisha's Petifar 
is not what you understood as a kindergarten student. He says, Aisha's Petifar, in her core, was truly motivated by good. Truly motivated by good. What was her good? She said, if according to Shemayim, Lashim Shemayim is supposed to have children with Yosef, I'm going to have children with Yosef. And I'm going to do anything in my power to get me to that goal of having children with Yosef. That was what she was motivated by. However, he says like this. He says, why did she go to such lengths to do things or to try to do things that were usher? Because she became blinded by taiva. She had a taiva for Yosef, and that taiva took something that was good and it threw her off track. So even though in an altruistic way this woman was doing the right thing, she then resorted to doing things which were going to be usher because she was blinded by something else. I'll explain this idea a little bit better. Chava. Chava, the Pasuk says by Chava, that she's looking at the Eitz Hadas. She's looking at the Eitz Hadas. She's looking at the Eitz Hadas. And then, Vatera Ha'isha, the woman sees, Kitaiva Eitz Lamachal, that the Eitz Hadas would have been good to eat. It would taste very good. V'chitava Hulainayim. And it was a very attractive looking tree. V'nechmar Ha'etz Lahaskel. So she starts saying, wow, this tree looks so good and it looks so fresh and these fruits taste so delicious. And when I was dating, my Rosh Hashiva, he, he, said, he said to me, he said, I don't understand. How did Chava know that the fruit tasted good? She says, I'll tell you why. She didn't. But because it was such an attractive looking tree, Chava attributed other attributes, positive attributes, to the tree. In other words, she became blinded by the desire to eat the fruit, or she became blinded by the, by the appealing texture of the fruit. This must taste delicious. It must taste delicious. How do you know? You never ate this before. I, I could tell, I could tell. What are you talking about? This has to be good. And that, Ravelli Lapian says, is exactly what happened by, by Aisha's Petifar. Is that she was motivated by good, but then there was a little hitch in the story that maybe these children are not supposed to be from you. Maybe they're supposed to be from your daughter. Ah, that can't be. That can't be. Why not? It can't be. He's such a cute looking guy. He's so handsome. He's so, he's so smart. He's such a Yari Shemaim. It has to be that he's the one who I'm destined to be with. Oh yeah, but maybe it's supposed to be from your daughter. It can't be. It's not Shaykh. It has to be that me and him are supposed to be together. She came up with her reasoning she, because she was blinded. She was blinded in her thought process. Now, why is this so important? Because throughout our lives, we, we go through our days and we make decisions based on various things. I'll give you an example. There was a poll that they stood on the street and they asked people, same people, two questions. This was in 2013, right after Obamacare was passed as universal health care law. So they came out and they said to people, do you oppose Obamacare? And 47% of people said, yes, I oppose Obamacare. And then they asked the same people, are you opposed to the Affordable Care Act? And 36% of people said, yes, I'm opposed to the Affordable Care Act. Now 47% and 36%. So what was this little gap over here? So 
the answer is as, is as follows, because obviously anybody who knows anything knows that Obamacare and the Affordable Care Act are one and the same. So the study concluded that when you put Obama's name to the Affordable Care Act, people say, this, this doesn't sound good. This doesn't sound good. Obamacare, it doesn't sound good. No, I'm, I'm against it. When you say, are you against the Affordable Care Act? Affordable care? Sounds pretty good. Affordable? It sounds affordable. Care? Take care of me? Yeah, it's an act of Congress, President. Yeah, I'm for it. That sounds okay. So there's this like 10% gap of people who fell into this idea that they were blinded just by a word. Affordable Care Act or Obamacare. Oh, yeah, well, Obamacare, that doesn't sound good. Affordable Care Act? I'll take that one. Oh, it's the same thing. Oh, it's the same thing. Oh, it's the same thing. I didn't realize that. Because you get blinded by a word. You get blinded by somebody who's wearing fancy clothing. You get blinded by different things. And that is exactly what happened to Chava. And that's exactly what happened to Isha's Petifar. They thought they were doing 100% the right thing. No, 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 I'm doing the right thing. Everything seems great. Except that it's not. Because you're being blinded just a tiny drop. And Rosh Hashiva told me, he said, when you're dating, it is so crucial that your eyes are really open. Because if they're not really open, you show up to a house. The house is a gorgeous, stunning, beautiful house. You knock on the door. Before you even walk in that door, you already made a few assumptions about the person. Wow, these must be very well-balanced people. They must be so smart. They have to give a lot of tzedakah. I mean, with a house like this, who doesn't give tzedakah? It has to be that they're big, you know, gemil chasadim. If the father has so much money, of course he has time to learn. He must be, a, you know, big tamachacham. You make all these assumptions in the back of your mind. Why? Because it just has to be. It has to be. How could it be otherwise? And he said, that's exactly what happened when it came to Chava and Eitzadas. And that's exactly what happened with Eishas Petifa. And that's exactly what happens when people are dating. Uh, we're running this dating, Date Like a Pro seminar. We're doing it over and over and over. Date Like a Pro seminar. Doing it a whole bunch of times in Brooklyn. A whole bunch of other communities. And one of the biggest focuses of this dating seminar, teaching boys and girls, singles, and now we expanded it to include mothers as well, is the idea that if your eyes are not open, or you see A, B, and C, but E, F, G, it has to be. It just has to be. Then chances are you're going to wake up six months down the road, and it doesn't even take six months before you're going to say to yourself, Oh my goodness. I can't believe he doesn't learn as much as I thought. I can't believe she's not such a Balmidos. Yeah, her house was very big, so it must be that she grows up in a house of chesed, so she must be a Baal chesed. No, that's not true. It, it takes work to become a Baal chesed. It takes a big person to become a Balmidos. It takes a Tamil Chacham, somebody who's sitting and learning, to become a Tamil Chacham. These things take time and work and energy. And one of the worst things that a person could do for themselves and their relationship is make assumptions based on things which are swaying their decision. A beautiful house, a nice car, nice clothing, yichas, money, all of these things are nice things to have in relationships. But if those things in the relationship create false senses of other attributes which are positive, that are not necessarily there, you are going to wake up one day and have a morsel of regret. And when you realize that, you're going to say, oh my goodness, how did I get into this position? How did Aisha's Paitifar 
go from being this altruistic woman who has this clear vision for exactly what is right, L'Shem Shemayim, to going down in history, in history, as one of the most evil women of all time. She's the object of shame and embarrassment because she was blinded. And Chava, the same thing. The Chet Eitz Hadas changed the events of the entire history of humanity because she was blinded. And that is one of the first messages and the most crucial messages for anyone who's dating. Don't be blinded. When there are things there on the table, you better make sure that you know you have a system, you have a clear understanding of what you're looking for, of what happens when those things are uncovered, what this will mean to you in terms of a relationship. And in order to do this, you should be attending seminars, speaking to Rabbanim, speaking to therapists, speaking to college teachers, speak to people who are knowledgeable and are in this field who can help you and guide you. And specifically, when something comes up and you have a question mark. One of the worst things when, when I'm dealing with singles specifically, is somebody will come and they'll ask a bomb question. A major flag, if not red flag, then definitely a warning flag. And they come and they're like, what about this? And when we'll start talking about it, they'll be like, oh, I hear you, I hear you. Two days later or a day later, bam, mazel tov, I'm a chassan, I'm a kala. And it's like, what? you knew you had an issue to work through. Why not work through it? Make sure that you're addressing things that have to be addressed. So now you're going to say to yourself, great, what do I do now that I'm married six months? I'm married six years, I'm married 60 years. What do I do then? So I think the level that this, that this idea really has to be taken is to an individual level for each and every person. Every one of us, if we would do some introspection and we would be brutally honest with ourselves, we could all agree that we have things that need to be worked on. Nobody's perfect. If you were perfect, Hashem would just say, thank you, come come up, you're, you're done. You finished your tachlis in this world. We're not perfect. We're people that are here to grow and change and develop within ourselves, within our communities, within our homes, within our relationships with ourselves, within our relationships with our spouses, our children, and Hashem. That's why we're in this world. So if you wake up one day and you say to yourself, oh my goodness, here's something that I didn't see before. Oh my goodness, I thought my wife was an angel from above and I realized that she's not so perfect. Guess what? You're not either perfect. Perfection in marriage is not that a person becomes perfect. Perfection in marriage are two puzzle pieces that are not perfect and they learn to link together. They learn to create an intense bond called Kesha. This is the fundamental understanding of marriage. Our jobs in this world are not to sit there and say, well, I'm perfect. Well, my spouse is perfect. No. Things need to be addressed. And when those things are addressed, and when you grow along with your spouse by having a rub in your life, by being a big person, and by setting goals which are clear, and you understand this is where we need to go, then you will maximize your marriage beyond your wildest dreams. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.